Welcome to Growing Older with Gusto. This is your host, Gail Zergerman, and on this podcast, we deal with something everyone faces, growing older. For years, I've been listening to those who have gone before and even blogging about what to do and how to do it. Now it's my chance to share with you these really useful strategies to living life to the fullest. Whether we're 30, 60, or beyond, Growing Older with Gusto explores how to make the most of your life. In each episode, you'll hear from different people and learn how to prosper at any age and with different types of conditions and go about embracing the future. So grab your earbuds and subscribe into our content as we hope that you too will join us on our journey to finding joy and fulfillment and growing older with gusto. My name is Gail Zergerman and I am the host of the podcast Growing Older with Gusto. This podcast is designed to bring wisdom on how to grow older in a positive and productive way. Today, we begin a new season and we're so excited to bring it to you. Money, 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 money makes the world go round. Yes, it's true. And today, our first guest of the season is Sari Ibrahim, a financial wizard who's going to reveal all the ways we can grow older with gusto and with money. He's gonna give us the three keys for understanding money when we start to make it. He will give us benchmarks for what to do with our money at each age, motivate us to prepare for retirement, entice us with stories on how the uber wealthy handle their money and grow older with it, show us how to make social security work in our best interest, and reveal the three keys to financially growing older with gusto. There's so much to dig into with Sari, so let's get going. Welcome to the show, Sari. Hi, Gail. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So let's start out. There's so much to talk about. And as I said to you earlier, privately, I wish I had someone like you in my corner <laughs> when I was younger. Tell us to start out with what are the three keys to understanding money when we are just starting out, we're younger, and we're just starting to make some money? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I think three things. So number one, it's all about objective. So what is it that you want to do with your money? Mm-hmm. Uh, money is just a tool. It's not the actual goal. So kind of have, have the objective outlined. Also, it's based off of money's based off of behavior. It's not so much based off of math or actually how much money you have or make, but rather how you live your life. That tends, there tends to be like a correlation between how people, how they handle money and how they handle their lives. Typically, responsible, responsible people tend to make more money and have more money. So that's kind of something to consider with, with money. And then also have your goals or objectives like unique to you, not necessarily like within a conventional lane or like a should category, like I should own a house by 30. I should, you know, you want them to be unique to yourself. Everybody has different lives, especially with money, like being a financial planner and working with people, there's never a financial plan that's the same for somebody else. It's, it's impossible to duplicate a blueprint from one person to another person because people have different lives. It's like their DNA. It's going to be different. Interesting. So Talk to us a little bit about preparing for our futures financially in terms of benchmarks for each age and where do you start? It's first of all, what is, what is younger? I mean, anyone younger than me is younger. <laughs> so what are the specific ages that we need to start thinking about certain things and what ages are they and what do we start, need to start thinking about? Yeah, awesome question. Yeah, so I, I like to, um, the clients end up choosing this, for example, like they could have they they could be different benchmarks like buying a house or investing in real estate or having passive income, and it comes down to the term of financial freedom. And people have different definitions, right? Like if you were asking me, what do I think financial freedom is? 
I think financial freedom is being able to do what you want when you want. You don't have a specific job that you have to attend to. You can make money kind of on your own terms. That's kind of, I think, the, the, the top level of financial freedom is that you can pretty much live life on your own terms. Well, let me ask you this. So at what age, let's say like age 25, what should people be doing? Yeah. So I think by age 25, somebody, people should have some sort of roadmap for the future. One of the things about growing money is that you need time, right? Compound interest and compound growth typically takes time and it's better yesterday. It's always better. The sooner, the better. So somebody who's 25 is in the best situation actually to start saving money because they have 40 more years or 45 more years of work so they could allocate money towards some sort of compound growth or investment account that'll compound, let's say it compounds at, I don't know, 10%. That, that means that every 7.2 years, that money will double. And this is how you, you can end up with like millions of dollars in retirement. So yeah, definitely. Somebody's 25, I would definitely consider they start saving for the future. In their 30s, I would think- that they is, would... What's the best way to start saving when you're 25? Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different methods people use. If you have a 401k at your job, that typically is good. There's some restrictions with 401ks. Uh, IRAs are good. Also, we have one of our primary services that we have in our, in our, at our firm. It's called infinite banking or slash the bank on yourself concept, which uses a, a, a method of growing wealth on a tax-free basis, as well as predictable and grows regardless of how the stock market does. So that's something that I want, like my, the next thing I want to talk about is when you are choosing some sort of plan or some sort of solution that's going to grow compound for the future, you want to choose something that has tax benefits and can potentially even give you a tax-free retirement. Also something that's not affected by market conditions, right? Because we could be doing the best. We could be doing all, you know, the back of the behavior part, having the best behaviors possible when it comes to money. But if something happened in the stock market or the real estate market, then that could affect our, our account. We want something that is not going to be affected by that. And then is all, you could, it could also be accessible before retirement. So that's another thing too, is that I'm not really a firm believer of locking up money for like 30 years and never touching it. It's very difficult to do that. And I think that it's not predictable, right? Because we can't say that we're going to have this job and this pay for the next 30 or 40 years. It's very, it's almost impossible to do that. So we, need, we might need access to that. And I think access to the account uh, within 30 years in a way that's not going to affect the account is also key. So the, just to reiterate the three keys for choosing a retirement plan, tax-free growth, not affected by market condition and accessible before retirement. Okay. So what's the next age point that we need to start reevaluating how we're handling our money. Yeah, I'm a big fan of owning real estate as an investment. So I think that, you know, again, it's it's very difficult to say, all right, by 40 years old, you should have, but I think that should be the next step is after you own a personal home. I think one should own an, at least some sort of real estate investment property because of appreciation. They're going to own something that's going to appreciate. Let's just say it only appreciates three or 4% every year. That's that's potentially on the long run going to outpace inflation. Even though right now we're in a high inflation period, uh, I think three or 4% on a long run is going to outpace inflation. So that's one thing about real estate I like. The other thing too is there's a lot of tax benefits. There are ways where if you have a rental property and you're renting it out, you could use depreciation or other expenses to offset the rental income. So you can, there are tax advantages. And then also real estate for the most part tends to not be correlated or affected by the stock market for the most part. In, in other words, it's, it's safer than stocks. 
So I think that the next step after owning your personal home that you live in should be real estate. And that could be maybe in your 40s, depends. Some people buy real estate in their real estate investments in their 20s. Some people buy in their 50s. I think uh, it's it's very hard to say it's really what they what they what they want to do and where and where you set your goals to, but I think that should be the next step. Okay. And okay, let's say we're now 50. Now what mm-hmm. are we <laughs> um, yeah, 50 now we want to start thinking if we're gonna retire in the next 15 to 20 that, years. That's a good segue into the next question, which is how do you motivate people to prepare for retirement? But I guess you're saying at 50, we should start thinking about it, what we're going to do. I think it's early today. If, so if you're, so from a lot of people have been, as of today, have been retiring around 70. So if you're 50, you would probably have another 20 years of work, projected work. And then you would start, you would want to think about when you're 70 now, how much do you need when you're 70 in mm-hmm. monthly income? That's one metric I use. And it's very hard to see because some people might want their still same standard of living when they're 50 as when they're 70, which would mean that they would need the same income, which would mean that we would have to consider inflation, right? Because if you're making $100,000 a year at age 50 and you wanted the same standard of living, so to make the equivalent of $100,000 a year at age 70, just using inflation, you, probably, you, you might need to make like $130,000 a year in retirement at age 70. And then that could come from various sources. So you just take 130,000, divide that by 12, and that'll come out to about $10,830 a month. And then you would want to come and figure out maybe social security might give you like 2000 from that. You might have a 401k, you're projecting that you might take another 2000 from that. You might have an annuity, another you know two or 3000 from that every month or a pension. And then also the solution we help clients with life insurance, cash value life insurance, you might be able to pull from that. But you also want to consider the tax liability too. Is that is that all tax-free money you're taking or are you going to have to pay taxes on that money? And it depends. Sometimes it could be tax-free. Sometimes it could be taxable only on the gains. And then sometimes the entire amount could be taxable. Okay. Any other important things we should know about in terms of how does psychologically do you tell people to motivate themselves for retirement? Yeah. So psychologically, I would, I would ask people to think of your future self. And this is something that a lot of people have trouble with. They have trouble with thinking of who they'll be in the future, especially growing older. It's almost like it's a different person. It's almost like it's a separate person from yourself. And this is why it's very difficult to plan and to delay gratification into the future because it's not instantly gratifying. It's not like it's, it's almost like it doesn't pertain to you right now. If it doesn't pertain to you right now, then it doesn't pertain to you at all. And this is kind of a younger mindset, right? It's, it's harder to plan, which is why sometimes when we work with clients who are in their 50s or 60s, they haven't done anything for retirement yet. And it's not to blame them. It's that it, it wasn't urgent. It wasn't an urgent matter in their lives. So I think that, you know, preparing people psychologically is you want to think of the future as you want to think of your future self and then almost like your future self is going to thank you, thank your, your previous self. And one of the ways to do that is to plan financially for the future and to consider different things, consider the tax part of it, to, to consider the risk of it, and to um, also consider the inflation too. And then also another thing too is a lot of people think that in retirement, they're going to need a lot less money because their house will be paid off. They'll have less debt. But I think that they'll probably need for the most part, the same income that they're currently receiving in retirement because they might have future family obligations. They still might want to travel. They might want to do other things. So I think it's a, it's a good metric to have 
to have similar income to what you're currently making in retirement. Okay. And, but how, how do you really convince people to think about this and plan for it? Is there any like morsel of wisdom you can give us here? Yeah. And, and, and you're right. It's a good question. Sometimes it could be really difficult to convince people to do something. It's more of, I'm just asking them what they want to do. So we have something, one of the steps that we work with clients is we have the financial analysis meeting, which is the most important part of the meeting. So the financial analysis is simply like just getting to know their financial situation. It's getting to understand who they are, what they currently have financially and where they currently want to go. And a lot of that is not just based off of like plugging in numbers into certain areas. A lot of it is based off of their objectives and where they want to go and, and what, what certain things mean to them. Like the first question on the financial analysis is, what does the word retirement mean to you? So this right here is we're, we're breaking down their paradigm, what they believe, what clients believe, and what certain things mean to them. And I think this is really important because we get caught up in this world where it's like everybody has the same definition of money. Everybody has the same definition of financial freedom. Everybody has the same definition of passive income. Everybody has the same definition of getting rich or, or becoming wealthy. But when we break it down and then ask people, what does this mean to you? What does this word mean to you? Then that helps convince them to the next level because we're understanding them. We understand their right. vision, their perspective on life, and, and we get to see what they truly want to do. So if a client says, I want $10,000 a month in passive income, what is it about that, that that is important to you? And then they might say, well, you know, taking care of my family or traveling. And then what is it about that that is important to you? Well, it's living in life in control because I felt like I haven't had that much control in my life. And then that's what we're going to help them achieve. We're going to help them achieve control in their life, not just the money, not the annuity, not the life insurance. Those are all just tools and objects used to help people accomplish their actual true goals. Those are great ways. Those are great ways to motivate people. I think can really get them to look inside themselves and examine what the retirement mm -hmm. means to them. That's great. So entice us with some stories on how the uber wealthy handle their money as they grow older and they seem to always have more of it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, some stories of, of, of clients. So for example, Recently, I was working with a client who retired. He's a tech executive from California. He retired early and with like, I think it was like $5 million in stock options. And he needed a place to kind of secure it for the future because he knows that his money is, I would say that in the stock market, typically tech and healthcare tech specifically tend to be the most volatile because they're the most changing stock. So he considered that he's very savvy, understands the financial world as well as the tech world, and wanted a place to allocate money that's not going to be affected by market conditions. So this is already an example of like what the uber wealthy too, the uber rich do is they, they're thinking of things that are outside of their control, things that, that are outside of their, that they have control over. So he allocated that to a place that's not going to be affected at, at all by market conditions, whether the market is up, whether whatever happens and could still outpace inflation and could still keep him on his retirement plan. So just one example of how to kind of plan financially. It's, it's very difficult so to- what did he do? What did he, where did he park his money? Yeah. So what he did was he used a special type of cash value whole life insurance. And a lot of people are like, what does it have to do with financial planning, right? What does life insurance have to do? And there's, there's a, a concept called infinite banking. It's also been referred to as bank on yourself. It's been kind of more popular over the last 20 years. The core fundamental parts of it have been around for over 160 years, but the actual concept has been more trendy over the last 20 years. And what it is, is that we use whole life insurance policies. So whole life insurance policies are life insurance policies 
And there's also cash value inside them that could build up almost like a savings account inside the policy that could build up and grow and can earn interest and dividends over time in the policy. So that's what he did. He allocated money from the stock market into cash value whole life insurance. Right away, he has life insurance and has cash value and has access to it and can borrow against it. It's almost, it's very similar to real estate. You buy a property, you have the market value, you have equity, you could leverage the equity. It's very similar. You have a life policy with equity in it or cash value. You could leverage that. You could borrow against that without interrupting the growth of it. It's um, not affected by market conditions. It's even, to take it a step further, it's even protected from lawsuits and things like that, depending on the state you live in. So it's a very like super secret uh, wealth weapon almost, or wealth tool, something that the ultra wealthy have been using for over a hundred years. You know, a lot of companies are backed by whole life insurance because they always have the ability to leverage that. And it's not like, for example, in 2008, right? Like everybody went down, like real estate, jobs, the stock market, except for people who had life insurance, cash value, life, or, who, or, or companies or people who are backed by cash value life insurance, because the insurance companies, they're not invested in the same place that they're not in the stock market. They're not in volatile areas. They're more in conservative areas. They're, they're investing in real estate, private loans, and the bond market, which typically is not affected by market conditions. That's one factor. And the other factor too is, and I'm putting on my insurance technical hat right now, if you haven't noticed. And the other part is too, is that the way that insurance companies operate is different than banks. So banks would borrow right from the Federal Reserve at fractional, with fractional reserve, which is very risky in a, in, a, in a tough economy because banks go down and everybody goes on or vice versa. When everything goes down, banks also go down too. But with life insurance, they're, they're only backed, their investments are only backed by their actual reserves, not other reserves, other places. So if you were to take all the cash that life insurance companies have and pull all together, it would be greater than all of the cash in the world from all the banks in the world and all the oil companies in the world. So just life insurance companies in the US right now have more cash than anyone else. And it's in the reserves. It's not leveraged anywhere else. It's not borrowed from other people or leveraged from other, other places. It's in their actual reserves. So what that translates into is that the next time there's a recession or depression, life insurance company cash values are not affected. So me as, for example, an investor who wants to stay wealthy for the future, I'm going to think of one place, at least one place, that's not going to be affected by any market conditions at all or anything that could happen bad in the world. And it's, it's going to be within a life insurance company, at least one life insurance company. Interesting. So help us understand how social security can work in our best interest. So many yes. times I hear from people, oh, it's kind of a ripoff, people who are older and already pulling in from social security. So let us learn a little bit about, for younger listeners, uh, how social security can work in their best interest. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar to a pension, right? Or an annuity. Some, in some countries, they even call it that. Like in the, in the UK, they call it, you know, like a pension you know, system, uh, very similar. And you've, you've been paying into social security your whole life, right? When you look at your W-2 statement, there's going to be like social security, Medicare, that you've been paying into that for your whole life. So millions of Americans are paying into it. It's a, a huge pot of money. And then everybody gets, you could choose at 62 or 65 or 67 or 70 to start taking out. The longer you wait, the more you would get. And it's, I think the, the purpose of it is, right, is to accommodate your other retirement accounts. I don't think that it's nowhere near enough. Like in my example, somebody's seven years old and they start taking $2,500 a month of social security. I don't think that's, you know, in today's age with inflation and everything going on, I don't think it's anywhere near enough 
to survive off of it. But Social Security plus annuity plus you know 401k withdrawals plus you know interest from other accounts, all that together will definitely help. I think that it's safe to say, maybe depending on a situation, that Social Security could be 25% of somebody's retirement income that they're earning, which is a significant portion of it. But again, yeah, it's definitely, I think, perfect with other accounts, other retirement accounts. Yeah, that's my kind of my take on it. Another thing too is that with Social Security, right, it's taxed up to a certain point, up to your 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 gross income, up to a certain point. And then when you have other income, let's say, for example, you are receiving Social Security, you're in retirement, but then you go get another job. And that other job is, let's just say, paying you fifty or $60,000 a year, let's say you're married, that could potentially increase your Social Security taxes as well as your income taxes. So let's, let's just think of a way. What if there's a way where we could have our Social Security income increase our retirement income without increasing our income taxes or increasing the amount of Social Security taxes we pay? And one of those ways could be at the, the specially designed whole life insurance policy way. That's one way that you could increase your retirement income without paying taxes or exposing your Social Security taxes. So we're back to the whole life insurance, okay? Yeah, yeah. And I just want to, yeah, kind of just kind of plant some seeds. It's not the only thing we do is just only life insurance, but it it, it is, it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to have this tax-free growth. And it's not just like, it has to be specially designed as well. It has to be from the right company in the right way designed. But yeah, about social security, I think it goes, you know, social security goes hand in hand with other investment vehicles or retirement accounts. Okay. And lastly, can you reveal the three keys, in your opinion, to help us financially grow older with gusto? Yep. So live life on your own terms, not necessarily in a in a should place. Like you should have this, or you should have that. Like kind of live life on, you know, within you. You decide what should be done at certain age and reach for that. Dream as big as you can. Never hold back on any like like. I don't think there's there are things that are not realistic. I think anything is realistic. You get what you think about. And another thing too is you get what you visualize, right? So whatever you think about, especially from a financial perspective, like as you're thinking about how you're going to live financially in the future, you tend to get what, what you think about. So, so it goes back to the whole dreaming big thing and then living life on your own terms. Another thing too is kind of like to well, add almost like a fourth the third thing. I'm, I'm, I've got live life on your own terms, dream as big as you can and visualize. And what's the third key? Yeah, um, the, the third thing is you get what you think about. That's a, that's the third thing is you get what you're thinking about, what you're planning. That's what you tend to receive. And, and I think that financial coaching helps a lot with this, not just financial advisory, which is, there's kind of a difference, right? A lot of people have to kind of like have a set amount of income or net worth before they could actually go to a financial advisor. A lot of financial, that's one problem in the industry is that a lot of financial advisors only want to work with people who have reached a certain financial limit in their life. And then there's financial coaching, which is almost, in a sense, completely different than financial advisory. Financial coaching is somebody who helps you reach your goals, coaches you, helps you solve kind of the, the hurdles you're having by asking those open-ended questions and kind of identifying where you want to go. Within the three things I mentioned, also add in, you know, working with a financial coach, somebody who, who's invested into or, or, or has a say into your financial future, somebody who's your like cheerleader, your financial cheerleader. Okay, so another key would be working yeah. with that's that is a great great idea. So are there any Siri, any other areas that we haven't talked about? No, yeah, we talked about retirement, we talked about financial freedom, some of the ways to grow tax-free retirement. 
Uh, Social Security. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think we talk, we, we we uncovered a lot of things. If listeners want a free like consultation and I you know kind of walk them through these different things, oh, uh, yeah, they could reach out to our website. It's thinkinglikeabank.com. There's also an ebook they could download for free. They could check out our podcast called thinkinglikeabank.com. If you're looking for kind of a mentor, a financial mentor, financial coach, somebody who could help you, I'll be more than happy to help you out. If you just go to the website, thinkinglikeabank.com. Wonderful. So um, you answered my final and last question on how best to read. And I know that you, you write some great newsletters too, weekly that I get. So thank you so much for being our first guest of the season. It's been illuminating. And I think anybody would do well by giving you a call and getting a free consult. And especially when you're younger, as I said, I wish I had somebody like you in my back pocket. So thank you very much for your time and being thank on the you. podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growing Older with Gusto. I'm Scott Winteroth, co-producer, and on behalf of Gail Zuckerman and myself, we would like to invite you to our website for additional resources on Growing Older with Gusto, as well as past episodes of the show. Please consider sharing this podcast with a friend. Or if you know someone who is growing older with gusto, please have them contact us so we can interview them on the show. Our contact information is on our website. Thank you. This podcast is a front and social production. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Mm -hmm.